Well, good morning. So glad to have you with us in worship today. Uh, we're going to start off with a song that we learned last week called The Reason. Would you stand with us as we worship the Lord today? Would you stand, please?
praise the Lord this morning. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing in the house this morning? Woo. Hey, we changed it up on you this morning, right? You couldn't be walking in sleeping. Hey, we have an amazing praise team. Thank you so much for opening us up with great worship to the Lord. I'm Pastor Tim Witt, and I got my wife Angie here with me, my better half. Uh, so just got a few announcements to make with you, but we're glad to have you here in the house of the Lord. Uh, make sure you get some coffee or something to drink in the back. Uh, we also have, if you're looking for our website, got signs on the side, impactforest.org. So we have so many things going on. To make sure you get all the information, go to our website, impactforest.org, and that gets you our life groups. We have some great life groups going on right now. Opportunity to serve. If you want to serve in the church with parking team set up with uh, Tony and the praise team, uh, there's different ways. But go to our website to get all the details. If you want to watch some of the previous messages from Brad, go to the website and all the messages are there. I mean, you can go back to counterculture series that he did like for eight months. So uh, some, some great ways to get connected with our church. But my wife, she's got some announcements. Hey guys, hard to believe that uh, spring's around the corner and our egg hunt is about seven weeks away, which is kind of crazy. Um, so it'll be March the 23rd and uh, we will have 50,000 eggs, hopefully stuffed and ready to roll. So how can you help? I'm glad you asked. So you can take um, a bag of eggs home with you today, put a piece of candy in there that fits, obviously, and tape it and bring it back in bags of, and in the Walmart bags or like the Kroger bags, it fits about 100 eggs. So if you bring them back in bags of 100, then we can set them aside for the event. So the next few weeks, we'll be passing out eggs. And uh, you say, well, I don't really want to stuff eggs. Well, then maybe buy some candy and have it shipped here or have it shipped to your house or have it shipped to my house. But we need about 50,000 pieces of candy. Um, and if you haven't ever counted that many, it's a lot, okay? So um, we will be ready to do that and uh, serve the community on March the 24th, okay? So in, say... All right, how can I help that day? I'm glad you asked. We need volunteers for parking. We need volunteers to uh, stand at the bouncy houses. We need volunteers to help pass out or help spread 50,000 eggs. That takes a good amount of time. So we'll leave here from church directly to go to Thomas Jefferson Elementary. We'll be hosting this event, and we'll be setting up there and getting ready for hopefully thousands of people to show up and hear about Jesus. It's not about the eggs, surprise. It's not about the eggs. The eggs draws them in, but Jesus um, will be demonstrated that day, and Jesus' love will be demonstrated, and we'll share the gospel that day as well. So I'm um, super excited about this event. It normally brings in thousands of people, and so um, we need your help, though. We can't do it by ourselves. So uh, prayerfully consider helping out, but prayerfully uh, pray for the event as we approach that in the next seven weeks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, it's just it's a beautiful thing. I remember last year, one of my favorite moments of the thing is when <clears throat> there's chaos, there's people running everywhere, doing everything, but then there's a, there's a time of silence, and you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brad presents the gospel so well, and you hear echo across those fields behind the elementary school. You hear Jesus Christ being honored, Jesus Christ being glorified, and the invitation that's issued out to everybody in that field, children, families, uh, even older people, grandparents, but to everybody, you hear the invitation of the gospel echoed across those fields. To me, that's what it's all about, is when you have everybody here <clears throat> in the county joined together, and you hear the name of Jesus Christ honored and glorified, and the invitation given out. 
So great opportunity. And that's why we're trying to be a church that's planted in this community. So you see on the side there, we got our Impact Church Building Fund. Uh, you see a little picture of the, the building on the outside, but then you see the sanctuary, how it's designed, and the children's ministry is designed in that. Go take a look at that. If you want to help us with our building fund, we got T-shirts, $25. Uh, the whole $25 goes towards the building fund. And you have a T-shirt that has the building on it and then has a, what's the slogan on the back? Building to make an impact. Building to make an impact. That's, our, that's what we're doing. So it's fun to wear those shirts around town to show people, hey, Impact Church is building to stay here in the community. We're a permanent fixture, and we're here to serve this community for years and years and years to come. So support us and look at that and see how we're doing on that. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer so we can get back to worship. Uh, dear God, we thank you so much for what you do. Jesus Christ is so amazing. And, Father, we're so blessed as a people as we come into your house uh, worship you, Father. I thank you for this praise team that just started us off so well. And Father, we just uh, we just want to lift you up. Thank you for opportunities we have in this community to just honor you and to glorify, to lift you up, so that all people can be drawn into a relationship, a relationship that will last for eternity. So, Father, we just pray that you would just be with Brad as he brings the message, be with the rest of the service that we just we just enter into your presence and we worship you. And Father, when we leave this place, our hearts are so full that we just we cannot help but share it with those we come across to at the stores and restaurants in our neighborhoods. We love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thankful for the faithfulness of our God. And as we sing this next song, it just talks about there's peace that outlasts darkness and hope that's in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So as we go from day to day and we, and we live out our walk following after Christ, we need to know that the battle has already been won. So uh, let's just join our hearts together as we worship him in that truth. Would you stand with us as we sing, please?
Would you praise him today? Would you sing this? Lord, you brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Yes, Lord, you brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes. so much for today, God. We thank you that you have brought us from darkness into your marvelous light. God, that we were blinded in our sin, but God, that you made a way through the death of Jesus Christ. God, that we could have life and have it more abundantly. God, I pray that if there's someone here today that does not have that life found in you, that today will be their day of salvation, God. God, I thank you for helping us to see who you are that everything we need is found in you. God, as we uh, continue to worship through your word today, God, help us to find our strength in you. Help us to find our hope in you. Help us to find our significance in you, Father. Help us to see that, God, you are with us every step of the way. God, no matter what we may be going through, God, I know there's probably so many different situations represented here this morning, but God, I know that you are faithful, and God, as you promised, you never leave us, and you never forsake us. You are a good God, and Lord, we worship you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think you may be seated. of adversity, we could never find the strength to trust without faith. Because we don't have the capability to see above the trials that we meet, to keep our eyes focused on the King while counting the situation we are currently experiencing as joy. Faith works. This is the essence of James. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. Without faith, without works, we too quickly become that man in the mirror staring at his face, but then forgets the way he looks as soon as he turns away. But with faith, with works, we stay steadfast on this journey, progressively sanctified, knowing we'll be perfected once we reach the other side. Faith works. This is the cry of James, that faith apart from works can never be sustained, that in every day and in every way we should see this truth proclaimed because it's faith that makes us doers of the word, not just hearers. It's faith that keeps us humble, not proud. It's faith that directs our tongues to bless, not to curse. It's faith that causes us to show mercy, not judgment. It's faith that leads us to true religion, not its empty substitute. And it's faith that's causing us to preach the good news to every tribe, tongue, and nation with every breath that we breathe. And it will be faith that causes us to worship our God for all eternity. This is the message of James. 
faith works. Amen. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. How are you guys doing? All right. All right. Good. Man, nice to see the house of the Lord packed here. Welcome to Impact Church. If you're visiting with us today, maybe it's your first time, maybe it's your fifth time. Maybe you're still church hopping and church shopping, looking for a place to call home. We hope and pray the Lord would anchor you right here, that God is doing an amazing work through this church. We would love for you, your friends and family, to be a part of what God is doing. And uh, we hope this is your last stop and your last shop. So welcome uh, and worship with us here today. And the past couple weeks at the end of service, I have um, failfully attempted to share the finances uh, uh, and the budget and whatnot. So um, at strike two, and I know what happens on strike three, all right? So what I'm going to do is real quick, put it up in front of you guys, go through it, and then at the end of service, so we don't slow all the uh, teardown process and taking down the screens and the uh, equipment, I will go to the back, and if anybody has any questions about the finances or budget, you can meet me back there, and we'll talk through all that. There's also papers on the side that point to what's on the screen, but uh, we'll put up the, um, the budget first for 2024 um, and what we're looking at. Uh, nothing much uh, has changed substantially in that. The Lord has provided. Um, what will change, of course, is uh, what we're paying for rent and also our construction budget. Uh, obviously, our uh, building process, for those of you who don't know, going through the process of developing 45 acres of land over there eventually, starting out with a uh, 15,000 square foot building around roughly a $3 million project total, half of which was the excavating. Go figure, push dirt, put some pipe in the ground, 1.5 million. Boy, man, I shouldn't have been a therapist. I should have pushed dirt. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, it is what it is. So uh, expenses over there. God's getting us through that. So as such, with the construction budget, I think we just went over $10,000 a month that we pay right now in construction budget. And that's going to grow as we continue to go through it. So um, that's uh, roughly, I know you can't, probably can't see that well, so we can see on the side, we'll answer at the back. But what has uh, increased uh, substantially, and this is what I point out, is our missions giving uh, real quick. So our, what we're going to do to give toward um, missions. And we know missions, and we say it a lot, missions is Acts 1-8, right? A lot of th people say missions is only overseas. That is not correct, okay? That's a part of it. But Acts 1-8 is missions. What is missions? Jerusalem. That's your area, your hometown, where you live. Judea and Samaria, that's the outer skirts of where you live and outer areas. And then there's the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the overseas. So it's threefold. So our missions giving, we can probably put that up, is uh, broken down. As such, we have giving that goes to our reaching our Jerusalem, reaching our Judea and Samaria, and then also reaching, of course, the uttermost parts of the earth. And as such, um, we're going to support a church plant uh, this year now. Um, so uh, for the first two years of a church plant, uh, like Thomas Road did us for the first two years that we got started, we're going to support a church plant. But then we're also going to give substantially um, to our overseas missions. And specifically, we have been prayerfully looking to reach unreached people groups. You, if you were here a few weeks ago, you probably saw that presentation and those slides of, of what unreached people groups look like. Um, guys, that is the, uh, the, the mission field that I would call the 301 and the 401. Like you have 101 missions. That's where you go to a cool place where it's soft and easy. The gospel is accepted. It's almost like a vacation. You kind of go sightsee, do some things, share a little Jesus. That's cool. That's missions too. But then there's 301 and 401 missions where you got to keep it quiet and go on the lowdown or you get persecuted for sharing Jesus. 
that's where we're going, okay? That's where we're going. And so we're going in South Asia, and we're going to support two training centers by ourselves as Impact Church that have pastors that are teaching other pastors to go out into the unreached people groups in South Asia to reach these people who have zero Christians, guys, where it's overtaken by either um, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, whatever the case may be, that's where we want to reach, all right? And that's what we're going to be supporting. We're going to be giving um, toward that and supporting those training centers. And you'll hear more about that as, as Amanda and teams go over there and, and report back on, on what's going and uh, look to uh, share Christ. So um, in a nutshell, that's it. Any further questions, detailed questions, man, I want to meet you in the back and answer any questions you have. So just know God's moving. Um, keep uh, uh, doing what you're doing because God is using your faithful giving to support this ministry where we can do more. And I'm going to tell you, I was talking about Jerusalem missions. That building right there is a tool. It's going to be a Jerusalem missions project to reach people who don't come to church every Sunday in this area. And that's what we're going to do is we're going to meet them uh, where they're at through athletics and different things and share Jesus with them. So there you go. Got it in before everybody left today. All right. And if you have more questions, we'll meet you in the back. So let's get going in our sermon series continued here in James that we started here a few weeks ago. And uh, this message was um, my attempt was to encapsulate it all in one message last week. And God had different plans. And uh, I had so much, I had to leave some out last week and then leave even more out during the message. And then God hauled me and said, what are you rushing for, boy? Man, take your time. This is a steak. You, if you try to chew a steak too fast, you're going to choke, right? Um, we're we're going to eat a steak. We're going to our, take our time. We're going to enjoy it, okay? So we're going to enjoy God's word together because I believe this hits us right where we're at, all of us. And it's helpful to every single one of us because today we're going to look at how to claim victory, Everybody loves that, right? You start talking about victory and being victorious and winning. But what we're going to see is something that defeats us so easily can be easily overcome because we've already been given the tools that we need for victory in Jesus. So the title of today's message is Victory Lane, Overcoming Temptation. So we talked a little bit about temptation last week and about where it comes from. We're going to dive in deeper but today's message, broken up, as the Lord would have it, is called Victory Lane. And I thought this was a, a fitting title for this weekend because how many of you are NASCAR fans out there? We have any? Anybody still watch NASCAR since Dale Earnhardt died? Maybe everybody does. I don't know. So I used to watch it when, when he was racing. But uh, this weekend starts the NASCAR races up, all right? They just had, I believe they moved it to yesterday. So NASCARs started up. And, and if you're familiar with uh, racing at all, and maybe you're not, you just watch a little bit on the news, you'll, you'll see when the, the person that wins the race goes to this area at the end of the race called Victory Lane. You familiar with that? It's this big checkered uh, kind of platform area and you'll see the race car driver come out there and oftentimes they'll get on that and spin them some donuts and smoke the tires up and then get up and hoist the trophy and cheer. It's victory lane because what was set out to accomplish has been accomplished and he's been victorious. So there's a time of celebration. And guys, I want to tell you that this race car driver alone couldn't do it by himself. That there has to be this race car driver who has some ability of himself to drive a car and a little bit of guts, too, to, to sit in that thing and race that fast, right? But he also has been given something 
without which he could not accomplish the task of victory. Guys, he's been given this car by this sponsor and this team who've spent millions of dollars in this vehicle that has a state-of-the-art suspension to hold that much pressure and torque and force going around those curves. It has a a souped-up horsepower engine, 750 horsepower, able to sustain speeds over 200 miles per hour. That's not common. It has, get this, has tires specifically made to grip and hug the road and to hold that much force and pressure in those curves. And if that wasn't enough, this race car driver is given a team so that when the car starts to feel a little loose or maybe starts to get low on fuel or the tires aren't hugging the road like they should, he can pull over and a team comes around him and does what he doesn't have time or able to do. And they, he, they put the gas in the car, they, they put the new tires on and send him on his way around the track and then he ends up in victory. Guys, today I say all that to say this. God has positioned you and I for victory over temptation. And his desire is for you and I to get into the vehicle that he has prepared so that you and I can spin our spiritual tires in victory lane over an enemy that wants to take us out and defeat us and over a fleshly desire that needs to be overcome only by the spirit of God. And he's given us everything we've needed. He's given us this spirit-filled, super-powered engine that by which we can live by to overcome the flesh, Paul's going to tell us. And we have this team around us called the church by which when we need a little help, we can come around other fellow believers and they can help us give us what we need to encourage us and get us back on the road. Guys, you can choose to not pull over for that pit stop. The driver could do it. He could say, oh man, I'm, I'm good. I don't need new tires. I've got enough gas. And it don't matter that the tires are slipping a little bit. Yeah, you can go around that curve and you can crash and burn in the wall. And you can do that spiritually. Or you can get involved in this body and lock arms with, yes, some imperfect people beside you, but you call them family. And when God has anchored you in there, he wants to set you on fire and get you on the road to something called victory that you're only going to find in Jesus. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we praise you. We magnify you. Lord, we lift your name high today. Lord, we want to dive deep in your word because we want to hear from you. Lord, allow your spirit, Father, to fall upon this place and move in every person's heart and mind today. Lord, change lives, change families, change directions, change the the, the paths of addiction. Lord, change the, the, the feelings of defeat that so many people have. Lord, we don't have to be slaves to this stuff anymore. Lord, because we are set free in you. Lord, you went to the cross for something. You went to the cross to give us power to set us free. So Lord, help us see that and to enter into this vehicle that you've given us called salvation and sanctification, which sets us apart and sets us free and propels us into victory. Lord, I know there's people here who need this message. Lord, we all do. So Lord, I pray that you would use it, move through it, change hearts and lives. Lord, and you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so James chapter 1, 
If you have a copy of God's Word with you, you can turn to that book and that chapter. And we're going to do chapters just 13 through 18 again. And of course, we dug out chapter uh, verse 13 and 14 fairly adequately last week. So the majority of our talk today will be in 15 through 18. But we are going to touch back on some of the beginning to give the context and leave and uh, go back over some stuff that we left out in a rush last week. So James chapter 1, we're going to read verse 13 through 18 here together. And it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. You ought to highlight that. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures or his creation, depending on what translation you have. So, we talked about last week as we entered into this, and I think we adequately spelled, adequately spelled out that where James uh, is coming from in this is, is something that is very common to man. Temptation is common to everybody, and Paul would say that in, to the church at Corinth. But then also we looked about that the blame-shifting part is as old as sin itself. And we went back to Genesis chapter 3, and we saw how Adam and Eve did just that. They blame-shifted to no end God and, and other things for their own sin. And that's where James is clear in this, that it's nobody else's fault but our own evil desire. We had that message last week. So now let's move forward because where we started to get a little rush and where I want to dive back in is we started into five proofs or five truths that God is not responsible for, for temptation and therefore not responsible himself for sin. Okay. And we started out with, verse, uh, with the first point just to recap that God is holy and he's the opposite of evil. And that's why in verse 13, it says, Look, no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. God doesn't have anything to do with it. All right. If we look in here, this word in the New Testament is aparastos, and it means he is not experienced in evil. God has no experience with evil. None of it. It's not his. Okay. So evil comes from our own selfish desires. We went over Habakkuk 1, verse 13 says, You, talking of God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Guys, God can't even look on it. So if God cannot even look on it, can he create it? No. Well, God created Satan. Sure he did. As Lucifer, as an angel, and in his own pride and selfishness and own evil desires, he was drug away and fell from his position right god didn't create the evil the the desire created the evil do we need to get that straight there's an antichrist coming god's going to create him did god create the evil in the antichrist no 
The Bible is very clear. By his own evil desire, he will be drug away into sin. What does Romans 9 make it very clear? God allowed those evil people to be created anyway in his sovereignty, knowing that they would do and be drug away, and he would allow them to exist anyway to prove a point and, and to perfect his will. And I don't have time to exegete Romans 9 because that's a message by itself. I don't even want to open that can up, all right? But yes, God in his sovereignty allowed some evil people to be created. Not that he created them evil. Please don't mistake that. Because if he created somebody evil, that means they never had a chance for salvation. And therefore, it's God's fault that they went to hell and God created evil. When this book just said he has no part in that. Can we get that clear? It's part, somebody's own evil desire that drags them away. God still allows that in his sovereignty and his foreknowledge, and then he uses that for his own purpose. All right, let's go. God doesn't create evil. God didn't create you this way. Your own evil sinful desire pulled you that way is what the problem is. Number two, we said man is tempted by his own lust. Because that's what James went directly into. He said, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We had that very clear. We talked about this uh, word in the uh, Greek for, for drug away was a hunting term. And then gave the picture of, of a trap, of, of a trap set for an animal in hunting and trapping. And the word enticed, enticed is a fishing term. Talked about being lured and teased into something to, to bite a baited hook to be caught by something that looks attractive and is pulled by your desire toward that, all right? It's the Greek word, deliazamos, all right? And it means to be enticed, like you're catching a fish with bait. And I, and I mean, it, we know, and this is a, a great point, and we brought this up briefly, but I want to reiterate it. It says their own evil desire. This isn't just some generic desire that's thrown out there and, and, it, and it affects everybody. Guys, it's our own desire. It's, it's what specifically that you fall for. Because what you fall for is put in front of me. I may not fall for it. But what I fall for every time, if it's put in front of you, be like, Brad, why are you doing that? Guys, it's our own selfish desires within us. And it's, and it's just like in fishing, because today, I'll be honest with you, I have a picture to show up. There's a, there's a lure for, for every condition. You got to use a certain type of lure in a certain type of lake. You got to use a certain type of color in that lake on a certain type of weather pattern or a certain type of sky, certain type of clarity of water for a certain type of fish. I mean, you got to have a PhD to catch a fish anymore. Fish are smart. <laughs> and I mean, you got all these different colors and variations of lures and everything, and it gets so complicated. Why? Because in a certain situation, at a certain time, certain fish will bite something that others won't. Guys, that's us. That's the picture that God's given in his word right here. It's our own evil desires, our own lusts, and being tempted, being hooked and trapped into sin. And get this, because we know a, a, a fish is, is coming out of bait because it's hungry. Or either it's impulsive to attack something that, that flies by its face. It's their own desire that does that. And it looks attractive. It looks appealing. It looks like it's something different and better than, than what really exists in the lake. It's like, man, I ain't never seen that before. I got to have that. And it's that own desire that makes it lunge and grab. And then it's caught and it's captured. Guys, that's the same picture for us with sin. It looks attractive. 
It looks like it's going to please. It looks like it's going to satisfy. It looks like everybody's doing it. It looks like it's going to, we're going to be part of the crowd. I'm going to be boys, man. Yeah, we do this with them. And before you know it, something that you did just to fit in with a group of people now becomes this monster that controls you called an addiction where you're no longer in control of yourself and it controls you. And it all started with the first little nibble. I'm just going to swim around that bait a little bit and, and, and see. Oh, it didn't hurt me. Oh, ooh, I'm going to kiss it. Oh, that's all right. I'm going to pet it. And then you grab it and it's got you. And guys, get this. The more we fall for that, the easier it is to stay in that trap and never get out. So we're going to learn how to overcome this trap. Because there's a process that God gives in this passage that we can bring out that leads us and gives us a game plan. Everybody knows what a game plan is if you've ever played any type of athletics. And, and you have a game plan that's set for you to, to have victory. God gives us that in his word today, guys. All right? So what we see is God doesn't make you do it. The devil doesn't make you do it. Not even the demons make you do it. And there's some people that are really confused on that. Can I be honest with you? They think, oh, if we cast out a demon, then they don't have to, they're not going to live in that sinful lifestyle anymore. Hogwash. Hogwash. Each person is drawn away by their own evil desires. Now, yes, there's some sin that we can get into. We start getting into alcohol and drugs and stuff that affect your mind where we can open our mind up if we're not saved to the influence of demonic presence and be possessed and controlled. But you can cast that demon out. And I'm going to tell you right now, if Jesus ain't in there, you're going to be drug away again. And the Bible tells us that you remove that demon and something doesn't fill that house, meaning the Holy Spirit, then seven more, more evil than itself, are going to come in and fill that house back up, baby. The devil doesn't make you do it. The demons don't make you do it. It's your own evil desire that makes you do it. You need Christ. You need that engine inside you to fill you up and to move you differently. That's the truth of Scripture. Guys, get this. It's not even the world's fault. How many times do you and I blame it on the world? Oh, well, it's that internet. It's that old evil internet and putting all them images in front of people all the time. Partly so. That's just the bait. That's just the hook. Do you have to bite it? What makes you bite that? You're my own evil desires. So it's not technology's fault. It's not the internet's fault. It's not TV's fault. It's not your husband's fault who's not listening to you and giving you the attention you feel like you need. It's your own evil desire to go talk to the other man at work. It's not your wife's fault that you don't feel like you're getting the physical attention you need, Ben, so you have the right and, 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 the, and the opportunity to go elsewhere. It's your own evil desire that leads you astray. It's not the woman's fault who dresses scantily at the gym, guys. It's your own evil desire's fault that makes you go get on the image and on the screen when your wife's not home and your kids are in bed. Make no excuses. It's sin that lays a weight in us. So whose fault is it? It's ours that pulls us so strongly to the bait. Yes, the bait's hooked. The world will, will bait the hook. Satan will bait the hook. The demons can bait the hook. People can bait the hook. But it's our desire that makes us bite it. So that means victory starts where? With our desire. That's where victory's going to start. We're going to get there. 
I'm going to read for you Romans just so, again, we don't get a condemnation message. You get a healthy conviction message, and I get a healthy conviction message, but not a condemnation message. Because even a brother who wrote most of your New Testament had the same struggle we do. Because as long as we're in the flesh, we're going to have a battle. It's never over. We're always going to be battling our flesh. And that's why the key is not trying harder. Trying harder will wear you out in your own strength. It's about surrendering more to Jesus. Surrender more not try harder. I want to read Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 17 through 25 really quick for you. And I think you'll get the picture. It says, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This is Paul talking in Romans. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Get this. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So there's this desire. See, there's a new I in Christ. But there's a, still a sinful desire is what Paul's talking about, a flesh that needs to be subdued. Keep reading. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. See, there was a battle within in Paul, and there's a battle within in you and I, and we have to realize that, guys, or we will never defeat it. I'm going to say it again. We have to own that and realize it or we will never defeat it. In other words, if I make excuses, excuses for it, then I'm never going to defeat it. If I say God's grace is sufficient for all of it, so it doesn't matter what I do, I'll never defeat it. Because Paul was very clear, so God's grace is sufficient. Praise God for his grace and his mercy, because without it, we'd all be going for hell. That's it. It's by his grace and the finished work of him on the cross alone that we are saved and justified. That's it. It's not of works that we're saved. All right? His grace is sufficient. But Paul even said, so should we continue in sin then? So his grace will abound. He said, of course not, because we don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Guys, that's so important. Christ come to set us free. But yet we're so good at wanting to blame shift. And that's where Proverbs 19.3, we said, it says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. We always want to blame the person at the top, don't we? We want to blame God for our sin. We saw this last week, if you watched some football last week, where the Detroit Lions blew a, a, a halftime lead of, mag, of uh, magnificent proportions. And if, when you kind of go back and look, it all come down to a decision that was made to go for on fourth down. They were up 14 at the time, could have chose to kick the field goal, go up 17, three scores with just a few minutes left in the third, probably end up winning the game. The momentum would have stayed over Detroit. They chose to go for it. Great play call. 
Ball hits the receiver for the first down right in the hands. He drops it. They don't get it. They turn the ball over to the 49ers. They drive down the field, score. Next possession, a couple plays in. The running back fumbles the ball in enemy territory. They get the ball, score. The whole game changes. Momentum, guys, is real and shifted. But who got the blame for that? I say all that not to just recap. Who got the blame? The head coach. Did the head coach drop the ball on fourth down? No. Hold up. You got a guy paid millions of dollars to catch a football. Catch a football. Nobody's blaming him. They're blaming the coach, the head guy. Next possession, running back, paid to secure the football, advance it down the field. He fumbles the football. Nobody's blaming the running back. They blame who? The head coach. Guys, do you see that? Guys, that's, that's why you shouldn't be a leader. Can I just tell you that? Because you're going to get all the blame for anything that goes wrong. We see it in football. We see it in your business. We see it in, in athletics. We see it in churches. It's always the head person that's the fault when the other people behind the scenes are making mistakes as well. Guys, the whole picture is this. We always want to blame the head guy, God, when we're the ones with the evil desire. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this one down. The problem is not the tempter without. The problem is the traitor within. The problem is not the tempter without. The problem is the traitor within. And that's the problem. That's where we're going to gain this victory. It's a heart test. Those of you that are familiar with maybe you've had heart testing or those of you in the medical field know that we have scans where people can look inside the heart. The doctor can look inside the heart and see what's going on. You have MRI imaging, CT scans, echocardiograms. You could go through the list. There's all kinds of, of things and tests that the doctor can do to see what's going on inside the heart. Get this before it's even manifested on the outside in symptoms. He can look in there and see what's going on and predict what's going to happen. Guys, the same is true in our heart and life spiritually. That God has a magnetic resonating, uh, resonance imaging of our heart, and he can tell us where, if we're going to have victory or not, and it's whether his spirit is present or not. We have to have the spirit of God in us to even hope to have victory over this. So our third point is unsubdued human lust breeds sin. Unsubdued human lusts breeds sin. Oh, it does. Because then we see this shift in verse 15 that James made back in uh, chapter 1. It says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So James is transitioning here from hunting and fishing to childbirth. So now we're not just being too enticed. And that's kind of a combination of drug away and enticed. We're not being just drug away and enticed. Now something's happened. Now it's been conceived. And guys, when a baby is conceived, the purpose is for it to be born. It will be born. And when it's born, then they have a tendency to grow up, don't they? Guys, the same is true with sin in our life. If we let it be conceived, it will come out. And when it comes out repetitively, it will grow and be full force and strong and cause destruction. Sin brings death. You see, the problem is I think most people think of sin as a solitary act or a series of acts or behaviors. Guys, sin is so much deeper than the things we do or don't do. Do you know that? 
Sin behind the scenes, and the Bible's very clear here, is not just a single act. The act is a secondary effect of a process that starts within us. We've got to see that. So sin is more of an attitude. Sin is an attitude. It's basically saying, God, I don't care what you say. I want to fulfill my own desires, and I want to live my life the way I want to live it. And I don't care what you say. And that manifests itself in very different ways. But it's the attitude. So let's look at that. What is this concept of this process? Because we see that sin, when desire is taking place, it conceives sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So there's that process there. So where does this, what does this look like? And where can we get our game plan? So we're going to have four Ds here for this process of falling for sin. First is desire. Second is deception. Third is direction. And fourth is disobedience. Desire, deception, direction, and disobedience. Very clearly, desire is what? It's a result of our emotions, our feelings, guys. That inner part of us is just wants to feel good or be soothed or we've had a rough day and, or a rough week and we just need something to fill us up. We've had a rough time in life and I just need this little thing to get me through. There's a desire, a feeling, an emotion. And we go for something that looks good, looks appealing, smells good, feels good. It's all about our senses, right? That's that desire. That's where this starts, so therefore, if we're going to kill the process, where should we look to focus? At the start, with the desire, all right? Second is deception. What is deception? Deception points more toward the mind. Deception now, I start to believe differently. I, believe, I start to make excuses. I start to justify why I'm doing or why I want to do what I want to do. And that's in my mind. So if, if my desire is not subdued, then my mind starts to take over with deception. Number three is direction. And deception is still a part of this. I want us to see this deception encompasses these last three parts. Because deception, once it's taken in, leads to direction. And that involves the will. So now you've got desire with the emotions deception with the mind, direction with the will. And you know what your will starts to do is what your mind has already concluded. It starts to form a design, a pattern, if you will, a direction. In other words, I want this. So now I'm going to start figuring out in my mind and my will how I'm going to get it. That's the planning process, right? This new direction I want to do, the new people I want to hang out with to, to, to get this done, that, that direction I want to go. Fourth is disobedience. Disobedience encompasses as a combination of the emotion, the mind, and the will. It's all three have fallen into disobedience. So therefore, it's a new attitude. Did you get that? So it goes from emotions to our mind to our will to a complete attitude, which is a combination of my emotions, my mind, and my will. That's where I start to feel entitled to do what I do and what I did. I start to blame shift. Well, it's not my fault. It's you don't understand the situation in my marriage. You don't understand the situation in my job. You don't understand the past I've had. Fill in the blank. 
and we start to justify and feel entitled for what we've done. And this is when you're in it. And the longer you're in it, the easier it is to stay in it and the harder it is to get out of it. Can I just say that? That's the trap. That's the enticement that James is talking about. Guys, there's a, a, a saying, you've probably heard it. Sin will keep you uh, longer than you uh, want to stay and make you pay more than you're willing to pay. It'll take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you're willing to pay every single time. That's the trap. And the enemy wants you to fall for it, and he's going to appeal to desires. So if we're going to gain the victory, at what point then in our lives do we start to deal with sin? Once the acts have started and we started into all the justification and entitlement? No. Where does God, think about this, now you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God in you. Where should we look to start to win this battle? In our desire and in our mind. Those are the two places we've got to get under the Spirit. Our desire and our mind. And therefore, we won't go off in another direction and fall into constant disobedience, all right? So, can desires change? Yeah, they actually can. Is it 100% guaranteed that, a, that your desire will go 100% completely away? No. So, if it doesn't, what do we have to do to overcome the desire? Get this, this might sound like a verse you've heard before deny yourself. That's the key. That's the key. If God doesn't remove or change the desire within you of the flesh, because sometimes he does, sometimes the desire can stay. But if the desire stays, our job is to surrender to Jesus and deny ourselves. Surrender, deny, surrender, deny. That's a lost teached art in the church today. And that's why the enemy's winning. He's baiting the hooks and people are falling because people ain't preaching it and people don't believe it because they don't hear it. If they're not confronted in their sin, they'll never be convicted of their sin. If they're not convicted of their sin, they'll never confess their sin. If they never confess their sin, they surely can't repent of their sin. And if they don't repent of their sin, they're still in their sin. It's got to be confronted. It's got to be. And it comes through his word in a healthy conviction way. There's a loving heavenly father who doesn't want us to get the hook. Think of a mouse trap, and, and, and if I had a mouse trap up here and a little mouse running around, you'd be like, oh, mouse, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't eat the cheese. <laughs> you'd be like, oh, I don't want to see it. I can't, I can't watch. Let's take it up a notch. How about if I had a big old bear trap up here? Like this picture. I think we got a picture of a bear trap. I'll get in a second and put this up. These big old jaws of teeth, if you've never seen one, and I don't know if the image will show up, but say I had a bear trap up here, and I set this thing, and I started walking around it and kind of just kind of sticking my leg, and just kind of, just like, a, y'all be like, oh, no, I can't watch. I, I'm leaving. Brad, you're going you're gonna to get it. Stop doing that. You're going to get it. Why? What if we treated sin like that? Don't even get around it. Don't mess with it. Don't play with it, Brad. You're going to get struck. What if we treated it like that? All these baited hooks that are out there. Don't mess with it. Don't even get started. You might say, oh, well, surely I could handle it if I'm around that. Oh, really? Really? 
Well, let's say you do. Do you know as a follower of Christ that you have people watching you? What if you can handle it and somebody else can't? Hey, moms and dads. What if you think you can handle something and have something under control, but your kids won't? I've heard Dr. Falwell say so many times, parents, moms, dads, what you do in moderation, your kids will always do in excess because you've given them the green light for that behavior. So what is it? What's the bait? Why are you taking it? Get away from it. Stop trying to put your foot in there and see if you can not get struck. Get out of there. That's what James is calling us for. Man, I'm not mad. I'm passionate because, man, this is, it's in me. It's in you. And if we can all can do this together and then, again, come to the pit stop of the church and get refreshed and refueled and got some people on our back. Like, I'm cheering for you, man. Come on. I'll be your county partner. Let's do this together. Man, that's what we need, guys. Not out of legalism, but out of Christ-likeness so that other people can see Christ in us and the enemy doesn't get a foothold and a stronghold in my life or our kids' life or our families or our homes. But if the emotions are allowed to just continually be exposed to the baited hook, that's when you get the problem. Remove yourself and your feelings and emotions from the baited hooks. Avoid it at all costs if you can. And then when they're enticed, deny yourself, and then the second part is the transforming of the mind. We know Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. See, what happens is if, my, uh, if I don't allow and subdue my uh, emotions and my feelings and I let them take charge and then I don't come behind that with a mind that's been transformed by God's word, then I'm going to fall for my feelings and my emotions every single time. And I'm going to go through that cycle. It will happen. Guys, so the only hope I have is to run from the bait, deny myself, ask God to transform my heart, my desires, my life, and then ultimately transform my mind. How do I transform my mind? By what goes in my eyes, my ears, and into my brain. Guys, so what I watch and what I listen to matters. Can I tell you something? What is the biggest thing in this world we have today that appeals to your emotions and your mind at the same time? I heard it. Music. Music. It'll appeal to your emotions and your mind. You could be having a horrible day, and the right song, come on, baby, and you're, woo! <laughs> Changes you. And then after you listen to that song a bunch, there's words in there and it gets in here. Appeals to your emotions, changes your mind. So do you think it's important that we watch what goes in our head through our ears? Guys, can I tell you when God first called me in the ministry and was all over me and man, just breaking me over my sin, this whole passage just breaking me. First John 2 and verse 4 was, was what God really grabbed me with. The man that says, I know him and I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. And then God broke me over that. And then the next thing you want to know what it was? One of the first things was the music I was putting in my head. Because I, I love to work out and lift, and I'm like a, an old teenager, I guess. I love rock and rap and all that stuff. And I was putting that trash in my head because I love the beat. But I, I would get those lyrics in my head. And I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you that when a beat goes off from back in the 80s, <laughs> from back in the music I used to listen to in the 90s, when a beat goes off, I still have every lyric in my head. 
And I'm embarrassed about that. Because that's some trashy stuff. But you know what God led me to do when he was first calling me and breaking me? He's like, Brad, if, if you're going to go where I want to take you, you've got to get this stuff out of your head. No legalism there. That's the spirit of God. You say, hey, you need something different in your head, boy. And you know what he gave is, is he's put song artists and, and, and rap artists and rock artists out there that are putting Christian lyrics to the same beat I love to listen to. And he gave that to me. He's like, you need this stuff. So for, I want to say since for 20 years, I've been pumping that stuff in my head while I work out, while I drive in the vehicle, everywhere else. And do you know what it's done? I could be having a horrible day. I could be just down in the dumps thinking about all the, the difficulties of pastoring and, and, and the slow process of the building. And, all, you know, I could just be like, whoa. And boy, I get that stuff in my head. I get in the gym and I start pumping that stuff in my head and it lifts my emotions. And then there's, there's Bible verses within the lyrics of the song that get in my head. And I leave the gym and I tended to go in there for just a physical workout, but I leave with a spiritual workout and I'm ready to charge the gates of hell again with a water pistol. <laughs> Guys, that's the difference. So what are you listening to? What are you watching? We know there's some neutral stuff that's fine. I'm not going there. I'm not saying all secular music's wrong. Please don't get that misinformation. But you know the trashy stuff with the lyrics and pointing to, to alcohol and drugs and immorality. You know what you're talking, what I'm talking about. That stuff is need to be absent in the mind of a believer. And if you believe differently, Lord, please help you. I've had people try to justify that to me. That that's my liberty in Christ. I can listen to that if I want to. Oh, really? Oh, really? Did Jesus say that? Because I think Paul, with the Spirit of God infused through him, said, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You're called to be free. Yes, you are, but you're not free to live and do as you please. You're called now to be free to live by the Spirit. So guys, what is it in you that God wants to put in you and change you and conform you to the image of his Son? I love 2 Corinthians 10. I want to read this passage for you. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. And it says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. <sighs> Casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I'm going to say that again. It casts down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You ready for this? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Emotions, mind, thoughts, thinking. Take every thought captive and make it fill you up on a bad day. Because the point number four is we overcome this by the goodness of God. We see that in the passage in James. We said every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from him. What is the good and perfect gift? And we don't need to dog this because we touched on it last week. Some people think everything, they take this verse and twist it and think every, every good and perfect gift think in financial things and material things and all that kind of stuff. There's some truth in that. But is that the context of this passage? No. You've taken this verse out of context when you do that. I want you to see that. This is talking about the good and perfect gift to overcome the temptation of sin and fall into it. What is that good and perfect gift called, church? Salvation. 
Jesus, his spirit, that's the good and perfect gift that's from him that allows us to overcome and be changed. It's his spirit. So the question is, is it in you? Go back to our NASCAR example at the beginning. Driver can stay, you stay on the track. Oh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to try to make it. I'm going to try to make it. You run out of gas. You don't finish the race and you lose. When all you had to do was pull over and get some gas and finish the race. I think there's a movie in Sling Blade and Carl said, hey, Carl, why don't you come over here? Look and see what's wrong with it. Had a little tiller over there. Walks over there. He's like, ain't no gas in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So why ain't it working for you? Maybe. Spiritually, ain't no gas in it. Do you have the spirit of God in you? And if you do, are you surrendered to that spirit working within you? That's what Paul claimed out in Galatians as we look to close. In Galatians chapter 5, and you can read that passage where it talks so clearly. And I'm going to move us forward a little quicker so I don't read that. But you know that passage where it's basically the spirit and the flesh are worn against each other. It says, so live by the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And that way you don't do whatever you want. It says that in your Bible. Did you know that? That's God's word, not mine. Live by the Spirit so you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. Therefore, you won't do whatever you want. We're not called to do whatever we want. We're not called to do what makes us happy. We're called to be holy. And it's impossible for us to do. And we'll always mess up. But to strive for that and to realize that there's victory to be had over temptation is the key to victory. Because we know the fifth point is the purpose of regeneration. We know it's temptation and evil is not from God because the goodness of God has given his spirit to change us. But then it's the purpose of regeneration. Did you catch that in verse 18? That he wants us to be different. It's for his will. That he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're, we're created in the image of Christ and in the image of God. And he wants us to be sanctified, to be different. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It says it's God's will that you be sanctified. That means to be changed, to be set apart. John chapter 17, we're going through the book of John in a life group. We're not there yet. We'll get there in verse 14 through 19 where the Bible says and very clearly Jesus saying, says, sanctify them, Lord, by your truth. Your word is truth. And before that, he, he says, I pray that you not take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Oh, I love that. You see, when we run from the bait, that doesn't mean we just remove ourselves from the world completely. Because we have to be salt and light in the world. We run from those temptations and we separate ourselves from that. But we are in the world. We're created to be in the world. Guys, a boat is created to be in the water. <laughs> But is the water meant to be in the boat? What happens when the water gets in the boat? It starts to sink. Guys, you and I are created to be in the world, but we can't let the world get in us. That's the difference. I love what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, you are restricted, not by us. I mean, it ain't just rules and regulations I'm throwing at you through God's word. You're not restricted by us. You are restricted by your own affections. Oh, 
you're actually trapped by your own affections. You're not trapped by the word of God. You're trapped by your own desires and affections, Paul told him. And that's what he, when he repeated what's said in Isaiah 52 and in Ezekiel 20, he says, come out from among them and be separate. That's God's call to us. Come out from among them and be separate, be different, be changed by the ratifying, changing power of the Holy Spirit of the living God inside you. We don't have to make excuses for sin anymore, guys. We have a revved up engine inside of us that wants to take control and propel us to victory. I close with 1 Corinthians passage. Let's read that. I got to it. I didn't think I was going to get to it. We got to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. You've heard this passage before, and I want to read it and put it in front of us. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone, somebody say everyone. Everyone Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. I love 26. You ready? 27. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline. Somebody say discipline. But I discipline my body. That's deny myself. And bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. It's about your testimony. That's why we do it. Why? It's not legalism. Why? Your testimony. We Deny ourselves. We strike a blow to our body. We deny our flesh. We suppress it. We make every, take every thought captive and make it subjective to the obedience of Christ. Why? So that we can have a testimony of Christ in us that shines outwardly to everybody who sees it. That's the why, guys. You got to know the why. Because if you just know the what, it feels like a rule. And it's not. It's about the Spirit of God in you moving you closer to Him. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more your desires will change. I can give you testimony to that. I don't even desire to listen to the junk I used to listen to. No desire in me to hear anything like it, remotely like it. I don't want it no more. That's not of me. That's when Jesus radically changed my heart and I surrendered and said, yes, how about you? And we know there's trouble in times, amen, give Jesus the glory. We know there's stuff called addictions in times, and, and, and you might, might need to get around people and get some help. There's therapists, there's psychiatrists, all kinds of things. We have ministries here with chain breakers and celebrate recovery where you can go through a process and, 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 and people can get around you and help guide you and, and help set you free through the transforming power of Jesus. So why do we keep taking the bait? I think it's because we keep making excuses. So I want to finish completely by reading. I've talked about music enough, and I wanted to read the words of, yes, a rap song that I've listened to for almost 20 years. In the gym, in my car. And it's a a rap song called Make War by a guy called Tadashi. And he starts with the words of a pastor to start the song. And it says this, it says, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addiction and their shortcomings. And I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? 
make war. Then the lyrics of the song. No more playing games, man, because this thing can get risky. So man, if you're in Christ, take up your cross quickly. Stand fearless on the front line. Time to come with it. Do the right thing. Wake up and let's get it. I ain't even in the ring and they're throwing bows like Riddick, persistently attacking me. They're even in the back of me. It's either fight or lose my life, and I can't take this passively. So what do you think I'm about to do? I'm about to do what I can do. Trust the one who got me through and fight like it was after school. Never giving up, steady standing on the battlefield, feet firm to the ground like I stepped on Chapel Hill. Flesh feeling risky, Sin persuades and tempts me. Did you hear the Bible in that? Satan cheers me on. Then it's guilt followed by conviction. It's the same old trap. I think we just talked about that. And we fall like we're defenseless. He says, work on your senses. That's deny those desires. Grow in wisdom. Let's change your mind. Stand firm and be relentless. Goes on. Do you even have a clue what happened to you when he died? When that tomb got rolled, when he rose in the sky? I think we emphasize sin so much that it makes us paralyzed and glorify the struggle so much that it makes us terrified. And we de-emphasize the fact that we've been sterilized from our own lives. And thus we gotta snap out of it. We ain't in no straight jacket, we're free. When Jesus died in our lives, something changed. Something strange happened. He gave us power. Yeah, I know that we're sinners, but since he rose, he's renewing the image of God in us. Now that we got to start, now we got to start making war. Now we can start saying no Mm. to them fleshly impulses that Jesus Christ was paying for. Wow. Now we can start taking the lead just like the Dalai Lama, and start going all out like a suicide bomber. That's all in. Whatever the sin is, we got to go harder by his grace. No time to waste, just like there's no tomorrow. I make war because sin never sleeps. It's got me in a trance. You can see it in my dreams. I make war. Man, I beat my flesh to the death every breath like I beat my chest. I make war. Sun up, I make war. Sun down, I make war. Time in, I make war. Time out, I make war. Against lust, against pride, against me until I die. You pump that stuff in your head, it changes you. What's going in your head, young people? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. I wonder if there's anybody in here today that might just say, Brad, (laughs) I want to start making war against my flesh. And I want to renew my mind because I'm being defeated and I want to end up in victory lane with Jesus. No one looking around. Would you just raise your hand, just admit to that? My hand's up first. 
You want victory over the flesh, over your will, over your mind. I want it, Lord. I need it, Father. Help us. Help us all, Lord. And then I wonder if there's anybody who might be here today and just say, Brad, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> I know about him, man, but I don't know him. That spirit of God that you're talking about that radically changes your heart, your mind, your desires, your attitudes, I, I haven't experienced that, and I want that today. And if that's you, I want you to surrender right now your heart to Jesus in this place. If you might be here, you might say, Brad, I've walked in that church doors my whole life, and there was a time where I did surrender my life to Jesus, and man, I was on fire for him, but lately I've drifted away, and like the prodigal son, I want to come running back, and I'm going to be on fire. I want to get in victory lane again that's you and you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do business with God here the same way. So if you want to accept him for the first time, surrender, repent and turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Or if you need to rededicate your life to him and come running back, I'm going to ask you to pray with me from your heart to God's heart and do business with Jesus. Realizing it's not the words that save you, it's with their heart that you believe and are justified right now. Romans 10, 9 and 10. So right now, if you're ready, just say, I surrender all, Lord, I'm yours. Take me, Lord, live me. Give me your power. Give me your strength. I need it. I desperately need it so much right now. Then do this work right here in your heart. and Let Jesus finish what he paid for on the cross in your life. And just say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of you, my Savior. Apart from you, I'm nothing. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And apart from you, I can never have victory. And Lord, I'm tired of doing life on my own. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of making excuses. I'm tired of trying to justify everything. And I just want to surrender and say, Lord, I'm yours right now. I'm done. Take me. Change me. Mold me. Shape me into your image. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He's the spotless lamb that broke his body and shed his blood that I could be forgiven and it's by his stripes I'm healed Lord I thank you for raising him from the grave three days later proving that he is God in the flesh and that he wasn't just a good man that he was God and that as such he stands in victory over all hell death and the grave and Lord I want to claim that same victory right now Lord in my life and my commitment to you is Lord I want to run this race And Lord, I ask you to finish what you've started in me. Because Lord, I want to finish well. And every day, every step I take, every breath I make, I want to be for your glory. Lord, change what I watch, change what I listen to. Help me, Lord, to deny myself, to take up my cross, to follow you, to come out from among them and be separate for your glory, Jesus. Lord, I desperately desire that. I need it. My family needs it. And Lord, I want to radically be changed by you. I'm yours. Thank you for saving me. Amen. If you did business right here today in this place, in this church, for the first time, or you rededicated your life to him, I want you to boldly and unashamed right now just raise your hand. Say, Brad, I did business with Jesus, and I'm not ashamed about that. I want you to pray for me. Amen. Hands up all over this place. We're going to close our service like we do every week, and I'm just going to ask you, Put action to your feet, whatever it was that God just laid on your heart during this message today. Maybe he's calling you to something. Maybe he's calling you to ministry. Maybe he's calling you to missions. Maybe he's 
calling you to, to, to something that just seems so hard to step out, would you just say yes and come? Maybe pastors up here, we can talk with you, pray with you. Maybe you made a decision for Jesus just now. Maybe you need to pray over a lost loved one, a, a, a financial situation, a health situation, whatever it is. You can come forward, but if you don't need us, you can walk right past us and just do business with Jesus. So right now, let's stand with our feet, sing with all our heart, sing with all our voice, and let's come right now as the Lord leads. No holding back, just come. I just won't speak.
Jesus a round of applause that he deserves for who he is and for his word that never returns void. So let's take this message and let's let it propel us to victory lane. God's given us everything we need. Let's get in that vehicle that he's provided and let's race that car to the end and proclaim Jesus and shine a light to a world that so desperately needs it. So that means let's go make an impact. Let's grab some people, bring them to church next week. We'll see you next Sunday. And again, if you want to catch up at the end, have any questions on finances, I'll meet you in the back kind of corner back of the church back there.